0: So We're going to jump in uh, to today's message, and if you have your sermon notes, go ahead and take those out, and, and I hope that, that they're a blessing to you during the week. Maybe you can refer back to those during the week, but um, we've been in this series where we're talking about how to live through a bad day, how do we get through this, this season that we're in, and uh, next week is our final week in this series. It's the seventh week, but it's also Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Jesus was crucified. We call that Palm Sunday, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So I hope you'll be here next week. It's going to be a meaningful time as we take communion together and and, uh, and have an incredible life-changing weekend. All right? So uh, we've been looking at these statements that Jesus made while he was on the cross. How do we live through a bad day? We've been studying these seven statements that Jesus made. And they're not just statements, it's not just things he said, but it's life lessons if we'll let them be. It's life lessons that will help us in our bad day. Jesus' bad day was was on Calvary, on the cross, the worst day of his life. And he went through some things. And he 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 suffered some things and taught us along the way. He didn't just bear the weight of the world on his shoulders. No, he, he actually taught us something along the way. So our theme verse is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and it says this, keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? It, it doesn't say keep your eyes on your problems, keep your eyes on, on, on self-help programs. No, keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it. That's what we're doing. We're, we're saying, Jesus, teach us. We're trying to learn from you. How did, how did you get through this bad day? Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. And I want you to notice that because he never lost sight of where he was headed. Where was he headed? The exhilarating finish. He was, he was headed to heaven. He was, he was headed to the, to the end. He was at the finish line. He could put up with anything along the way because he knew where he was going. He knew his destination. He could put up with cross, shame, whatever. And then right now he's there in heaven, right alongside God. And and one translation says he's making intercession for you and me. He's, he's pleading our case. And that's the good news, right? That's good news. So picture, if you will, Jesus on his bad day, hanging on the cross He's been hanging on the cross now about six hours. They crucified him at nine in the morning. And then uh, around uh, 12 in the afternoon, it went dark. And there was three hours of darkness. and, And now he is about to breathe his last breath. And in John chapter 19, he says three words. When he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. Now, if you were here last week, we studied uh, about Jesus needing a drink. He said, I'm thirsty. And what Jesus was teaching us in that moment was that we have to be human enough to acknowledge we have a need. He's on the cross. He could certainly save himself and get himself a drink, but he's acknowledging, I can't do it on my own. I, I need somebody to help me out. I, I need a drink. I'm thirsty. And so he teaches us to acknowledge that we, we need somebody else in our, in our bad day. So on this day, or in this statement, he says it is finished, and I love what Angela said. When I said she preached my message, I'm telling you, it was spot on, and we didn't even talk about it. She had no idea to know what I was going to say, but but she said, and I love it. She said uh, that he was he, Jesus was saying that whatever you're going through is finished. It's not just that the end of my life is here. It's not just that, you know, I'm about to die, but no, whatever you're going through. He was saying that the pain that I'm suffering right now, the anguish, the suffering, the the blood, the sweat, the tears, this bad day that I've been in is coming to a close. There there may be pain and I may be hurting right now, but it's not going to be like this forever. Come on, somebody. It's going to come to a close. And so Jesus teaches us in this moment, lesson number six. And, and this lesson is that we have to be assured there is a purpose and an end. In your notes, just write that down. There's a purpose to what you're going through. And I know some of you are going, well, I, I don't know what he's trying to teach me because I, I keep going through the same thing over and over again. What is he trying to teach me? I don't know. But there's a purpose to it, and there is an end to what you're going through. For Jesus, this was a statement of triumph. I have victory. This, it's coming to a, a close. Like It's over. The, the bad day that I've been going through, it's, it's over. So there's nothing that we face in this life, and I'm going to say that again. There's nothing that we face in this life where the hand of God is not present, mighty, active, and able to work through it all and beyond it all. I, I, I mean that. There is nothing you face in this life where, where God goes, well, I, I don't know what to do. There's never a moment like that. He knows. He's known the end from the beginning. He knows what's going on. And so my prayer for you today is that you would leave here with assurance. Not insurance, because we don't have any of that here today. Like, but assurance, right? Assurance that, that, and listen, you might not leave here with solutions. You might not leave here with an answer. But if you leave here with anything, I hope you leave here with assurance, that, that there's purpose in your pain, and you can endure until the end. You can. So so here, here we go. If there's a story that illustrates this thought better than anything else in the Bible, I think the story of Job illustrates this. Now, Job, man, he was a devout guy. Did you know that Job is actually the oldest book of the Bible? Um, Genesis is not the oldest book of the Bible. It's the first book And you might be going, well, well, why don't don't they do it? Why isn't Genesis the oldest? The Bible's not written in chronological order. It's actually written in sections. And so Job is actually a part of the poetic section. It's metaphoric, it's poetic, it's historical, it's right in the middle of the Bible. It's the oldest book. And so Job loved God. The Bible says that there was nobody else in all of the earth like Job. He was a pretty special guy. He loved God. And and he was incredible. He he was devout. He was a follower of God. And then, like any good country song, he lost his house. He he lost his he lost his Ford pickup. I mean, he lost his dog, his kids. He lost his livestock, his job. I mean, he lost it all. But the only good thing about country music—I'm just kidding you here. But the, the good thing about country music is, if you play it in reverse, you get all that back, right? You know what I'm saying? It, I'm just messing. I like country music. I like it. So. So Job loses everything except his wife, and he's probably thinking, God, why why didn't you take her too? Because, and listen, I mean it because she was a piece of work. Uh, In his bad day, Job is sitting on a pile of ashes. He's lost everything. He's sitting on a pile of ashes. He has boils all over his body, and he has a piece of clay scraping the boils open. And his wife comes up to him, and she says, why don't you just curse God and die? And he goes, babe, what's, what's the deal? And God, you sure you don't want to take her? Because, no, he didn't say it. He didn't say it. But imagine, I mean, he's been through it, and now his wife has turned against him. He, they've both lost Everything. And he starts to question God, like, where are you? God, why am I going through all this? Why am I dealing with these struggles? I was, I was blameless. I never turned my back on you. I served you all of these days, and this is how you're going to repay me, God? And so he kind of gets, gets frustrated with the Lord. And in Job chapter 30, verse 20, it says, he says, I call to you, God, but you don't answer me. Like, I pray, but you, you don't pay attention to me, Lord. I I'm over here talking to you but you don't listen to me and we've all been here. Come on. You know what I'm saying when you've been frustrated when things have happened when you've prayed and and you felt like there was like a, a a brass ceiling over you and nothing was getting to God. And you're like, "God, where are you? Why aren't you listening?" We've we've been here before. And then God says God lets him go on for 36 chapters of of just frustration towards his situation and towards God. And then God says, "Okay, Job, are are you finished? Because it's my turn to talk now. I I have something to say to you. And in Job chapter 38, he says, it says, the Lord spoke to Job out of a storm. Come on, y'all, that's pretty cool. I've I've never heard God speak audibly anyway, but if he spoke in a storm, I'd be like, you got my attention right now. I'm listening. And he spoke to Job out of a storm. And he says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge. Job, you think you know something, but you have no idea what you're talking about. He says, brace yourself like a man. Come on, put up your dukes. You, you want to scrap, Job? Because we, we go outside. We'll scrap, right? He's like, come on. Who, brace yourself like a man, God says to Job. He, he says, I'm going to question you now. You will answer me. Where were you when, when I laid the earth's foundation? Right, tell me if you understand, who marked off the dimensions? Surely you know, Job. Like, who stretched out a measuring line across the earth? And he keeps going in verse 18. He says, have you comprehended the vast expanses of earth? I, I, tell me if you know all this, Job. I, I don't want to bore you. But what is the way to the abode of light? Uh, do, does, do you know where darkness resides? Can you take them to their places, Job? Do you know the paths to their dwelling? And God says, surely you must know. I mean, like, for you were already born. Job, you have lived so many years. Can you hear the sarcasm in, in God there? He's like, oh, you've been around, Job. Come on, surely you know what's going on. Surely you can tell me all of these things. And Job, what he, what he does is he has, he's, he's done what all of us have done. He stuck his foot in his mouth. You know what I'm saying? He spoke without knowledge. And, and here's the deal. Every one of us, whether you're a Christian or not, will find yourself at this point where what you thought you knew, you don't know. Can I say that again? Whether you're a Christian or not, you're gonna find yourself at a point in life where, where what you thought you knew, you don't know. And so uh, Job eats crow, I'm going to try this again. The first service didn't get it. Job eats he eats crow. Have you ever heard that statement before? That do you do you know why it's eat crow? Because crow is foul tasting. Thank you. Thank you. It's foul tasting. And I'm not talking about the uh, crow is a bird, yes, a bird is a fowl, it tastes foul, anyway, whatever. Every once in a while we try those and, you know, it doesn't land, but it's fun to do it anyway. Because we need a laugh, right? We need a laugh. So, but Job, he, he stuck his foot in his mouth and now he starts kind of backpedaling. He, and in verse uh, chapter 40, he says, I am unworthy. God, I, I'm unworthy. How can I even reply to you, God? And have you, have you ever like, put your hand over your mouth just to keep yourself from saying anything else? It's like, that's what Job did. It says, I put my hand over my mouth. I'm just going to keep quiet. And I'm going to look like this. Because I have made a fool of myself. And what Job is teaching us, what the lesson that I get from Job and, and it's something that every one of us need to know. This lesson Job is teaching us, every one of us need to know is this, that we don't know. What you need to know is that you don't know. Are you with me? What I need to know is I don't know. I, I don't know. And, and in Job chapter 42, he goes on and he makes, he makes three statements that kind of become part of the Christian theology. And, and he says three things in Job chapter 42, verse 1 through 5. He says, I, I know that you can do all things, God. First, he says, Lord, I, you're a big God, and I was way out of my league to act like I could speak to you like that, to act like I knew something. And he says, no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You, you asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I didn't understand. God, those things are too wonderful for me to know. I spoke out of turn. So he says, there's things, God, there's things that you know that I just don't know. And then the third thing he says is he says, my ears had heard about you, but now my eyes have seen you. In other words, I used to know about you, God. I got I knew about you. But after this, now, God, I I know you. There's I have a relationship with you now, God. And so Job teaches us three things. Three attributes of God that I want to just cover real quick for you. In your notes, the first attribute is this attribute that God is all-powerful. And for you professional note-takers out there, in your white space nearby, just write the word omnipotent. Uh, Omni is all and potent. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That's what that word means. That's the theological term for it. So God is all-powerful all powerful, all power is in his hands. And you might be thinking, well, if all power is in God's hands, why doesn't he use the power? Why doesn't he rescue us from situations? Why doesn't he heal the cancer? Why doesn't he take care of the needs that we face? Why doesn't he put out the wildfires and stop the earthquakes? Why doesn't he do, why doesn't he use it? And the answer is, we don't know. I I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I can't tell you why, but what I do know is that everything started in God and everything finds its place in God. He's sovereign through it all. Colossians says it this way. It says, for everything, absolutely everything, and I love that he says it three times, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there. Where was he? Right where you are today. He was in your position. He knows what you've been through. He he was at the beginning of time before it came into existence. And he holds the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? He holds it all together right up to this very moment. He's got it together. And I saw this played out. I saw this scripture played out. At the end of last year when my Texas dad I called him my Texas dad his name was Larry Teal and I uh, called him my Texas dad because if I could have chosen my dad, I would have chosen Larry as my dad. My dad died when I was seven and so i didn't didn't have that father figure but met Larry about 15 years ago and he just was like a dad to me and around September he got he, his back started hurting. And he went to doctors, and they couldn't find out what the problem was. They, they couldn't find the solution. They, they would uh, scan him, and they would, uh, uh, they, they would x-ray and all that, and, and they gave him injections, but no relief. And then around uh, the 1st of December of last year, it was so much pain, he went to the hospital. They did a CAT scan on him, and they discovered that he had a mass on his pancreas. And, and they did a scope the next day to, to test the tissue of the mass, and it came back uh, cancerous. It was inoperable pancreatic cancer. And they said, Larry, you got two to four months to live. And he he lasted about 30 days. But I saw this played out, this this thought that God is all-powerful played out in, in his story. Because Larry, he said, I lived a good life. I've got no regrets. And I watched as his family rallied around him in his last days. And I watched as they never wavered. They didn't blame God. They didn't turn away from God. Their faith was strong. They were un- united in the front. They were. There was laughter and there was joy in the middle of that situation, but there was tears and there was pain and there was heartache. But they held on to God's promises. They held on to Jesus. They held on to this, this thought that God is all-powerful and it taught me that I would rather, I, I, I love this, I would rather Have hope in an all-powerful God than certainty in a very limited me. I would rather trust in Him, no matter what the outcome is, than have certainty in myself. I would rather have that. The second thing I want you to know, this attribute that Job teaches us, is is this thought, this theology that God is all-knowing. He's all-knowing. He's an all-knowing God. And right on the screen there, it should say he's all-knowing. There we go. And and the the theological term for this is that he's omniscient. All science, all knowledge, everything under the sun is in him. He knows about it. Nothing catches God off guard. Can I get a witness? Like your situation, it it doesn't catch him off guard. He's all-knowing. And when we got the bad news about Larry, we had questions. God, what, why, why, couldn't we have, why couldn't we have caught this earlier? Maybe things would have turned out differently if, if he had gone to the doctor or a different doctor. Or they, if they had scanned him earlier, maybe it wouldn't have turned out this way. But I'm telling you, his diagnosis didn't catch God off guard, and whatever's going on in your life won't catch God off guard either. Nothing takes God by surprise. Can I say that again? Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing occurs to God. God doesn't go, I cannot believe that just happened. Never. He never goes, man, I am so shocked at what's going on right now. No, he knows about it. He's, he knows what's going on. He's all knowing. And Hebrews says it this way, that he knows about everyone everywhere. Does he know about me? He, he knows about everything Because everything about us is bare and wide open to the all-seeing eyes of our living God. Nothing can be hidden from God. It's it's all laid bare before him. So think about it this way. Like our brains are about this size, right? Two fists put together. That's about the size of our brain. And and there's this legend that says we operate on about 10% of our brain. That's, That's this right here. But God, his brain is like this. It's huge. Everybody, everybody do this. Just make a big, like, man, God's, this is God's brain. This is your brain. Come on, tell your neighbor, say, this, this is your brain. This is what you're working with right here. This is, this is what you've got to work with. This is God's brain, though. I mean, he, he, he knows, but this is what you're working with, and all you can see is just what's right in front of you. But God sees the end from the beginning. He's, he's working some things out in the finish line. He's doing some things that you don't know about because his ways are not your ways and his thoughts are not your thoughts and his, his ways are higher than our ways and he knows some things that we can't possibly know. Amen? This, this is you right here. This is God. He's all powerful. And and as, as I watched the, the Teal family and as I... As I as I went through that experience with them, it taught me this never be afraid to trust an unknown future to an all knowing God. You, you may not know the future, but don't be afraid to trust it because God, He's got it. He knows. The third attribute that I want to share with you, real quick this, this attribute of God, part of our theology in the Christian world, is that God is ever present. And the theological term is that He's omnipresent, He's everywhere. All at the same time. So when you, when you say something like, bless God, that devil's been on me all day. Well, first of all, don't bless God that the devil's been on you. But uh, anyway, uh, so, so praise the Lord, the devil's been on my back. No, don't praise God that the devil's been on your back, right? No, no, no. But we say things like, the devil's been on me. Probably not. Because the devil isn't ever present. He's not omnipresent. He can't possibly be messing with all of us at the same time. But there is a real enemy. There there, there is a real enemy. There's the powers of hell. I get that, right? But God is ever-present. He can be everywhere all at the same time. That no matter what you face in this life, God's there. Can I say that again, that no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you face, no matter your struggle, your hardship, your bad day, your good day, wherever you are, God is always there. Hebrews says that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's good news. So we can say with confidence that the Lord is my helper. I don't get my help anywhere else. The Lord is my helper. What can mere mortals do to me? What, what, what can mere mortals, what, what can happen to me, right? So when Larry was, was diagnosed, and he's in his final 30 days, he, uh, I love Larry. Larry was an incredible dude, but he, he was frugal, and he wasn't about to spend money on a casket from the funeral home. He wasn't, wasn't going to do it. And they had a pine box that they wanted to charge 800 bucks for. And he said, no, we're just going to build it ourselves, right? So his sons, he had three boys, and they built uh, Larry's casket. They, they hand-built it out of yellow pine, and it was just beautiful, incredible. And he even got down in it to make sure he'd fit, you know? I, I can hear some of you going, oh, my gosh, I can't, yeah. And it seems like a morbid thought until you, until you know what Larry knew. He knew where he was headed. He knew what was coming. He knew heaven was on its way. And and here's what that season taught me, is that when God is with me, I can face whatever's against me. God's ever-present. When God's with me, I can face whatever comes my way. I can face it. One of the most prolific hymn writers uh, was a lady named Fanny Crosby. And Fanny was born in 1820. She was born perfectly healthy, but about six weeks old, she got sick, and her parents took her to a, a quack, a fake doctor. He, he didn't really know what he was doing. And this fake doctor, this quack, put a mustard poultice on her eyes, a spicy mustard paste, if you will, and it blinded her. She, was, she had sight for six weeks of her life. And after that, She was blind for 95 years, but she wrote over 9,000 hymns. One of them was Blessed Assurance, and that's what I want to leave you with today. This Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Air of salvation, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. bought with his spirit, washed in his blood. I love how we all went. That's why we had the words on the screen. I couldn't see like that. Hey, listen, blessed assurance. Fanny knew something. Fanny went through life blind. She couldn't see a thing, but she could say, hey, I know something. I know something. I've got blessed assurance. And here's what I want to leave you with today. I want you walking out these doors going, I know. I know. I can be assured of of a few things. So four four declarations I want to give you really quick. And the first one is this. You can know this. I know God loves me. When you're going through it, when you're in a, in a season of life, I know, God is, I know God loves me. Who else died for you, church? Who else gave their son for you? Who else paid for the, the, the price of your sin? God. I know he loves me. The second thing you can know is that I know God wants the best for me. I know, that he, I know that he wants something good. I love that first song we did. God is up to something good. God wants something good in your life. And part of our theology is kind of shifted these days where we think God is just this like cosmic killjoy and he, he, he just wants to put us in our place all the time and he's a mean God, but that's not who he is. God is love. God is love and he wants the best for us. And the scripture says uh, in... In Romans chapter 8, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? Since he didn't spare even his own son, but he gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Another way to say it is, if he gave you Jesus, why would he withhold anything else from you? If he gave you Jesus, why why would he keep something else from you? He wants the best for us. And and he goes on to say, does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have a bad day? If if we go through calamity or trouble or we're persecuted or we're hungry or we're destitute or we're in danger or we're threatened with death, does it mean that he no longer loves us? No. No. I love it. No, despite all of that stuff, despite the bad days we go through, despite the things that we face in life, overwhelming victory, not like a little bit of victory, enough to get you through the day, overwhelming victory is ours through who? Jesus Christ, right? He goes on to say, Jesus Christ who loved us. He loved us. He loves you. He wants the best for you. And then number three, I I know, this is your assurance. When you walk out of here today, I know God has a plan for me. I don't know what it is. I can't see it. I might even be a little bit frustrated at what's going on in life, and I've got questions, but I know God has a plan for me. There's a purpose to what I'm going through. God's still at work in ways that we can't see. He's, he's managing some things at the finish line. And I'm telling you that my family, the Murray family, would not be here in Wichita Falls today if it wasn't for some bad days, if we hadn't gone through some bad seasons. What we, what we thought was so depressing and heart-aching, when we, what we thought was so frustrating in this season that we were going through turned out to be God's call on our lives. Because in in 2017 we were living in Alabama. We were in in Huntsville, a booming city. It it is an incredible city. We loved it. Life was good. Everything looked great on paper, but we were miserable inside. We I, looking back, I can tell you, I believe we were in depression. Like man, they, it seemed hopeless. We were frustrated. Things things we f- just felt like we were spinning our tires, and they weren't going anywhere. And we, we loved the church that we were part of. It was comfortable there, but there was just something missing, if you know what I'm talking about, something that was not fulfilling in life. And then God reminded us of the dream that he had put in our hearts 10 years ago, and that was to plant a life-giving church. And we knew it was Wichita Falls. So we started leaning into that. We started pressing in. Oh, okay, God, you've reminded us of this dream. It reignited a fire in us. It reignited a passion in us, and we began to lean into that. And it was the bad day that got us here, though. You need to know that. It was that bad season that got us to a place of being uncomfortable and being willing to take a risk. Because if I'm telling you, if those bad days hadn't come, we'd still be in Alabama living a comfortable life. We'd still be there. And it reminds me of, of how a mother eagle takes care of her, her nest. The eaglets are up there. Mama's just feeding them birds and fish. They're like, they're, they're, Mom's just taking care of everything. She's going out and catching the fish and feeding them, and, and they're just like, yeah, Feed me, feed me. And finally, she gets tired of it. She says, It ain't going it ain't to be like this anymore. We're not going to do this forever. You're about to fly. Right? And what does she do? She starts pulling the down out of the nest and, and she start, it starts getting prickly and pokey. And before you know it, they're getting uncomfortable and they're ready to get out on their own because uh, Mama's ready for them to get out on their own. Do you know what I'm saying? So Mama kind of just forces her hand that it's time for you to go. And I think God does the same thing with us sometimes. We get in situations that we think are terrible, but all God's trying to do is show us his plan for our lives. We get uncomfortable and we go, oh, no, 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 that's not it. No, no, this is uncomfortable, God. You didn't call us to be uncomfortable. Reality check. Life's uncomfortable. And so that moment brought us here. And maybe God's got you in a situation that he's trying to teach you something in. He's trying to work something in you. Or he's trying to get you to a place in life where you're ready to take some steps of faith. Right? So I know God loves me. I know God loves me wants the best for me. I know God has a plan for me. And number four, actually, before we even go there, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. They're plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what God wants for you. He has a plan for your life. And that's why I want every one of you to go through growth track. At some point, I want you to go through growth track. Give me four Sundays Today is step one of the growth track, and we talk about uh, how, to make, how to make sure that this is the church for you. We want you to know for certain that this is your church because there's a lot of great churches in our community, but it's my job to tell you about this one and so we want to help you know, is, is this where you're supposed to be? And if you choose to call this home, then we spend the next three weeks helping you discover God's plan for your life, what He wants for you, what He's calling you to do and discovering gifts and passions that He's put inside of you. And it's so fulfilling and rewarding when you know what God wants you to do. Amen. Amen. Number four, the fourth thing God wants you to know is that He will bring you through. I know God will bring me through. I know it. There's no doubt in my mind. He, uh, in, in second Timothy verse chapter four, it says, the Lord will rescue me from, from every evil attack and he'll bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And when you, when you read that the first time, I, I kind of think like, well, which one is it going to be? Are you going to rescue me God? Or, or are you going to lead me to your heavenly kingdom? And really, the answer is both. You're in a win-win situation no matter what he does. Can I, can I hear a witness today? You're in a win-win situation. If you know Jesus, you get it. If you know Jesus, you understand that. Paul got it. The Apostle Paul, he was told, if you keep preaching the gospel, we will cut your head off. And he said, would you? Would you cut my head off? Because, you know, to live is Christ. And I get to keep doing ministry if I live. But to die is gain. And and I get to meet Jesus face to face if if you kill me. So it would solve a lot of problems if you just go ahead and cut my head off. I wouldn't even have to think about it anymore. Just take care of that for me, Paul says. What do you do to a guy with that kind of perspective? What do you do to a guy like that? Nothing. You can't do anything because he's in a win-win situation. And you're in a win-win situation if you know Jesus. No matter what happens in life, you know Jesus. You're in a win-win situation. God's got you. God's got it. He's working some things out that you can't see. And he will bring you through either in this life or the life to come. Right? So here's the last thing I want to say, and then, and then we'll close out with prayer. Write this in your notes that my struggles have a purpose and my pain has an end it's not forever it may seem like it I know I know but it's not when you're finished writing that down just, just close your eyes right where you are and let me ask you this question what is the Holy Spirit saying to you today what's the Holy Spirit whispering to your heart what's he communicating what's he, what's he putting in your heart today I want to give you a chance, an opportunity to respond to God. Because I know some of you, maybe you're here today, you're far from God. You don't have a relationship with God. And I'm not asking you to join this church. That's not how we do that here. All I'm asking you to do is to start a relationship with Jesus. And if you're far from God, if you don't have hope in eternity, like if if you don't have hope in this future, with God if you don't have hope you can have that today you you can have it if you're far from God you feel the guilt and the shame of your past stacking up against you you're one simple heartfelt prayer away from a relationship with God and if that's you you're ready to know Jesus today if just slip up your hand right where you are you're ready to start a relationship with God If that's you, with boldness and courage, I want you to know it's it's the best decision you'll ever make in your life. It's the best decision, the most important decision you'll ever make. Anybody else today? Say, Ben, that's me. Just slip your hand where I can sit. God bless you. I see you. Who else? Who else wants to say, that's me, Ben. Count me in that prayer. Count me in. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else? Amen. Hey, let's say this prayer together today. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe you're the son of God. You're my hope. You're my firm foundation. I believe in you. Will you forgive me? Cleanse me? Wash me? Make me new? I trust in you. You're everything I need. You love me, you want the best for me, you have a plan for me, and you will see me through. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.